0: The following sermon is from Redemption Bible Church of New Braunfels, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology in order to fulfill the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. Why should we pray? What happens when we do pray? As we pray, are we somehow strong-arming God into getting our way? Are we rubbing the genie's lantern so that we can make our wishes to Him? Are we writing lists to send a Santa, letting him know what is on our wish list, hoping to receive them if we've been good? No, the purpose of prayer is fundamentally this, to align our hearts with the will of God. This is the purpose of prayer, to align our hearts with God's will. Will. Let me ask a different question. Now, when was the last time that you took your vehicle in for a wheel alignment? Who among us are like me and it's on the to-do list and we just have neglected it for probably far too long? Yeah? Some of us? Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. We've just neglected it. But what's the purpose of getting an alignment? Why spend that $100 or whatever it is to get them running in unison, straight ahead and parallel? Why is that important? Well, it's important because it keeps us safe, right? It prevents the the wobbling or the pulling off into the ditch or oncoming traffic, and it also extends the longevity of those tires. And so like a set of tires on a vehicle, prayer brings our unbalanced hearts into alignment with the steadfast will of God. And so let's read our passage now, and then we will take this thought Further, We're in Acts 4. We'll begin in verse 23, and we will go to verse 31. Please listen now as I read it. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, Who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against you, your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. Both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. This is God's word for God's people. Now, if the purpose of prayer is to align our hearts with the will of God, then how does that happen? How does this happen? Well, this encounter that Peter and John and their friends have teach us just that. First, we must understand the situation. Now, it's a little play on words here. We must understand our own context in order to do that, but let's also understand the context of this passage. We must understand the situation. See, the passage I just read is actually just a smaller scene in a larger setting of unfolding events. And so I want to just go back a little bit and survey it and see exactly what Peter and John were reporting to their friends after their release that verse 23 tells us. Flip back over a page to Acts 3 verse 1. We're just going to kind of walk through here, but it says in chapter three there, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. So they're together, you know, Peter and John, they're the first disciples, right? They've now received the Holy Spirit and they are leading the church and the advancement of the church and the gospel there uh, throughout Jerusalem and beyond. They're going to the temple for prayer. I, in my margins, here's just a little side note as we go through this mini series. Anytime I've seen prayer in the book of Acts, I've just written a little P in the margins. I would encourage you to do that as we trace this theme through the book of Acts. You can put it in your margin back at 114, 124, 242. Here 3-1 in our passage in chapter 4 as well. But Peter and John, they are going to the temple to pray. And look at verse 2 now in chapter 3. A lame man was there being carried. And to just summarize the story, they heal him. He can now walk. And as as the people see this healing take place in 3.11, then Peter stands up and he begins to preach. What's that mixture? We want transformation to happen. We want revival to happen. It's when God's people devote themselves to prayer and God's people preach God's word. That's happening. Peter is preaching here. And guess what that does? Go to chapter 4, verse 1. They are preaching these things and the priest, the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. And what does verse two say? They were greatly annoyed. Isn't that a great word? If you have NASB or NIV, you might say greatly disturbed, but it's like, they're agitated. They're like annoyed, like these pesky guys, we cannot stop them. And yet miraculous things are happening. They can't deny it, but they are greatly annoyed. None of us get like this, right? Like with our children, our coworkers, none of us like know any sort of experience like this, right? But they're they're, they're not happy about it. Not only are they greatly annoyed, they go on and they arrest Peter and John, or Peter, yeah, Peter and John. They're not happy about it. It's these religious leaders, the priests, the captain of the temple, the Sadducees, which is really interesting because the Sadducees are like the religious leaders who uh, incidentally deny the resurrection. And so if we were to read more of these, they're preaching that Christ has risen, that he is resurrected. So they are especially annoyed because they don't even believe that can happen. And now they say, "No, Jesus has resurrected." And they do this, and look at uh, chapter four, verse four, many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. God, through His spirit and the preaching of God's word and the prayers of His people, even in the midst of persecution, many come to faith. Many come to faith, beloved. As we understand the situation, we have to pause here to say, well, what is it that they are believing? It is the good news of Jesus Christ. It is the news that we acted in ignorance, verse 17 of chapter three says. But what God foretold out of the prophets that Christ would come suffer, and this he fulfilled. Because we were ignorant, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, and God in his mercy came to live the life that we couldn't do, that he would suffer and take the consequences that we deserved and hung on the cross. But then he rose again, sitting at the right hand of the Father, even now that we might be saved. And when we are no longer ignorant of that, We repent and we believe and we see the depth of our sin. We see the glory of Jesus Christ. We repent and say, I don't want to live that way. And repentance is really just that. It's, It's a turning of our mind and our back towards our old way of life. I'm not an old that man anymore. I'm not that person anymore. But I'm now heading towards Christ in faith, all my hope, all my trust in what he did to earn the way to be right with God. That, beloved, is the gospel. That is how you can be saved. If you find yourself in ignorance and you find yourself, your eyes being open today, that is the right response. Repent and believe and turn towards Christ. Come, ye sinners poor and needy, he says, and he will save you. That is the gospel. And that is what is happening even in the midst of this situation. Many are being saved. But do you think the elders, the scribes, those gathered there, do you think they like that? No, they don't. They don't like it. As a matter of fact, they begin to interrogate Peter and John in verse 5 and, and going through. And then in verse 15, they warn them and, to, and say, don't preach. Do not talk about Jesus. And they send them on their way. They're annoyed by it. They arrest them. They interrogate them. They tell them, don't say, don't. They charge them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. They say, now go on your way. And in verse 21, all the people are praising God for what happened. And then that's the situation they find themselves in. That's what Peter and John their release. They go to their friends and they make this report of this situation. This is where they are. The authorities are after them. They're trying to silence them and stifle their ministry because they are preaching Jesus. And so their friends, they give the report, and when they hear it, what do they do next? Go to our passage that we're looking at today. What do they do? Verse 24. They hear it and they. Put a little P. They lift their voices together. And we might say they cry out. They literally, like, likely all at the same time, all talking out loud. Not like our respectable, uh, you know, American way of praying, you know, silently, one at a time in unison. Don't raise your voice too loud. Make sure people can hear you. No, they are all together collectively praying out loud. Have you ever been in a situation uh, praying with people from another nation? Nations without, like, our American orderly sensibilities, where everybody's just praying out loud. Anybody been in a situation like that? Some of our Asian brothers and sisters, and they just, like, let it all out. And even as I talk about that, some of us are, like, getting anxious, just, like, everybody talking out loud at the same time in prayer. I can't even understand it. Right, it, it is, it kind of, like your heart gets, gets beating uh, pretty fast. A couple years ago, when we were at the training center for church planting, actually with uh, uh, Brother Ramon, the guy that Jerry uh, referred to, he planted, he's in Cabo San Lucas there. We were in the training center together. Great brother, love him a ton. It was praying with those guys. I got to experience just everybody praying out loud, also in different languages together, because there was guys planting in, from Africa, the Caribbean, Mexico, Canada, the U.S., it, all over the U.S. and all in our different dialects. And it was phenomenal. But they're lifting their voices together. If you're a little uh, nervous, like, is Pastor Blair going to make us all pray like that after the service? I'm going to keep you on the edge of your seat No, no, We're going to pray together after this, but not necessarily in that way. But they hear this situation and they pray. They understand that only God can come through. God had come through Peter and John could have easily been executed. And he has extended their life. He has brought them through it. And so they understand what is happening. They understand the sovereignty of God, beloved. And this is the first step in aligning our hearts with the will of God that is being unfolding. You know, have you ever been driving your car and you feel that little wobble in your steering wheel? You ever felt that? Maybe you've been driving in your car and and it's like kind of pulling one way or another. Now, there's a variety of issues. I'm not like a mechanic, so I can't like diagnose it up here. But it is alerting you that something is off, that it's time to take it into that team of friendly mechanics that you trust with your car so it can be inspected and they can help you understand what is going on. Why is it wobbling? Why is it unbalanced? Why is it pulling? And our life, beloved, is very similar Way in which we live our life, sometimes we feel out balance, out of balance, don't we? Our life is is a little bit wobbly, or we, we keep getting pulled into the ditch, or into oncoming traffic. And it's in those moments, beloved, find your friends, get vulnerable. What's going on? Don't hide that last ten percent that you don't want anyone to know. Get on your knees together and cry out to the Lord together. This is why we have small groups. This is why God has designed us to live in Christian community as a church in an uncommon community of believers together. We need help often, I would say, often to help see life from what's going on, from God's perspective, and to point our eyes back to Christ. Point our eyes back to the sovereign Lord who is ruling over the heavens and the earth. And so as we point one another back to Christ, as we are praying and seeking understanding, seeking what God is doing in the midst of this and where my life is out of balance, then then together we urge the sovereign Lord. We urge the sovereign Lord. Do you see this prayer in verse 24 to 30? I'm so thankful that Luke records this for us. You know, he was, it, it, it's such a powerful prayer that somebody obviously remembered it. They recalled it to Luke, and it's powerful to us that it's, it's here. I, I would submit to you, if you don't know what to pray, you can recite these verses. Just the similar way that we recite the, the Lord's Prayer. And if you pray this meaningfully, may the Lord will do a work in you if you don't have voice for your own prayers. It's biblically sound. It reflects the scriptures teaching how to pray. So let's just, let's just look at this prayer here together. Sovereign Lord, they, they are urging here. It, their, their prayer is Father-directed. It's an interesting word here, the Sovereign Lord. It's, it's where we get our English word despot or master. There's, it's a different than the normal Lord that we actually have. It's a different word in, in the original language, in Greek, than our normal Lord that we see. It's in verse 29, that word kurios. It's different here. This is despot. It's acknowledging the, the sovereign control, the complete ruling of this person they are directing of God himself. He is the sovereign Lord. His father directed. It acknowledges him. Look, as the creator, you made the heaven and the earth, the sea and everything in him. He is the creator. He is the ruler over everything, even governments, especially Ruling over our present circumstances. Do you see where he takes the prayer there in verse 25? It's scripture saturated. He's quoting from Psalm 2 here. Psalm 2 warns government leaders from rejecting the Lord and his ways. And it gives great hope that one day Christ will come and he will execute justice on any with a rod of iron, on any who reject his way. This is the Lord's anointed. And so he's quoting there. Why did the Gentiles or the nations rage? The people's plot in vain. The kings of the earth, the rulers, they're gathering together against the Lord and against his anointed. That is Christ. It's scripture saturated. You know, it's really here too. It's, also, it's tipping their hat to their theology of the Bible. Of how we got it. The inspiration of the scriptures. Of the book that you hold in your hands. It is inspired. It comes through Human instruments at the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Do you see that in verse twenty-five? Through the mouth of your father David, David uh, inscribed it. He was the instrument, but the Spirit inspired it. Second Peter 1:21 is a great it says men moved by the Holy Spirit wrote these things, not like some weird trance-like thing, but God moving people to pen the books of the Bible. That they would be preserved for us. This is a prayer that is Father directed, it is Scripture saturated, and it is Christ exalting. Look how they refer to Christ in verse 27 your holy servant Jesus, your anointed one. It is pointing us back to the cross, pointing us back to the deity of Christ, that he is the high and lifted up one. And in so doing, it is human humbling. Because as our eyes are lifted up to Christ, they are subsequently taking off of us. Our eyes can't, like, one can't go up and one can't be down. You know, like, our eyes, as we lift them up to Christ, as we exalt him, as he is the sovereign one, as as God is the one in charge who ordered these events for his glory and our good, it humbles us into our place in the orchestrating of human affairs. And we, we, we... We're not in that boardroom. This is God himself and the Trinity that sits in that room. We don't have access to there. We don't make the decisions. We don't don't make any sort of call on what happens in our life. But it is God. It is God, as verse 28 shows. He is the one that has predestined these things. Whatever his hand, whatever his plan, uh, had predestined. And that's a word that kind of makes us cringe sometimes, doesn't it? Who hears that? It's like, predestination, What is, do we believe in these things? Well, yeah, because it should, give us, it should help us to breathe a sigh of relief. The weight of the world, beloved, is not on our shoulders. The events of tomorrow are outside your control, and that is a good thing. These things humble us. Praise God that we have a sovereign Lord over the universe that is ordering all these things for his glory and your good. And that can cause us to breathe a sigh of relief. We don't have to be anxious. We don't have to worry Because Christ is still ruling and reigning. Even the most horrific event in all of human history, when Christ went to the cross, was according to his plan. His sovereign good plan for his glory and our good. And if he is ruling over those events, you can be sure that he's involved in the events and details of your daily life. This humbles us and it gives us great joy as we continue on. See, there's there's God God didn't buy tickets to the movie of human history. If verse 28 teaches us anything, it's that he wrote the script and he directs the scenes. <laughs> and believing this gives them not only the assurance but the boldness that they need to continue the balance that they need to get their own heart aligned to the will of God that is unfolding in their life. The spirit the this prayer that they are praying as they are urging the sovereign lord not only is it human humbling it is also spirit filled. So they're not asking things of God in this prayer for their own selfish convenience. We know that the Spirit is active in their prayers not just because the windows are rattling in verse 31. We know it because the Spirit brings Scripture to mind as they pray. It is shining a spotlight on Christ. It is is opening our our eyes to see their theology because that's the role of the Holy Spirit. That is His ministry. That is how you know He brings to mind, John 14 says, the things that Christ taught. He will bring those, John 14, 15, 16, in there. He shines a light on to Christ, not onto himself. And so we can see in their prayer that the Spirit is moving in even them and giving them the boldness that they are asking for. There's this confirmation here in that era of the signs and wonders that would be performed in their name that authenticated the message that this was indeed true. So God in his goodness gave them the ability to heal and do these miracles as a way to say, yes, this is Christ. It's authenticating the message of the gospel. So the believers there together in this way, they are urging the sovereign Lord. They're really running the tires of their life. They're trying to see, okay, which one is out of balance? And so as we go, like, look at this little chart here. There's like, God's will is like, it's steadfast. It's immovable. In our life, it gets kind of out of balance, Right? We hit a curb of sin. It kind of makes a bulge. It knocks things out of alignment. There's suffering. There's things that happen. The trials in our life and our heart gets a little out of whack, right? And so as we bring it in for an alignment, it's not God's will that needs changing. It is our heart that needs to get in alignment, in unison for our safety and for our longevity. And as we pray, beloved, those wheels balance out. They align with the never unbalanced will of God until we are walking in unison. And even as we think about these things, we should, it, it, it bears some explanation. We talk about the will of God a lot. Anybody kind of confused on that? I've heard some things, read things like, well, what is the will of God? Well, I'm here to make a revelation of the secret will of God. No, the scripture really lays out uh, the will of God kind of in two ways, his hidden will and his revealed will. His revealed will is very easy to understand. You read your scriptures, go onto a Bible app and do a search thing, type in, in quotes, the will of God and only a handful of verses will come up. It is very clear what the revealed will of God, what we are to do. 1 Thessalonians 4, it is God's will, your sanctification... That you abstain from sexual immorality. That's God's will for your life, every person's life, that you be sanctified, growing in holiness, growing in Christ's likeness, particularly through our sexual purity. Anything out of that? It is not God's will. It's God's will that we be submissive to authorities," First Peter says. That this is a hallmark. He desires, his will is that we live this way. And the Bible is full of commands. The great commandments, all those things, to love God, love our neighbors as ourselves. That is God's will. Those very clear commands of scripture. But then there's also this aspect that we have to get our mind around of the hidden uh, will of God. That is God's unfolding will of the events in human history, okay? There is never a moment where God says, well, I never saw that coming, he didn't get to the end of the game last night. He was like, well, I didn't, that surprised me that the Cowboys lost. <laughs> he never finds himself in the situation, even when we do. No, God is the one who by his hand and by his plan predestined these things to take place. And so the events of this world are going exactly according to God's will. And that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about the events in your life are nothing to get unbalanced about. Though we do, and sometimes we do, and God in his kindness has given us this gift of prayer that as we come to him, as we urge him, it is in our hearts. As as prayer is ultimately about God. And it is his will. And so we are bringing our hearts into alignment that we are walking in his spirit, by his spirit, in unison with the Lord, trusting him, humbled before him. And this is really a gift of prayer. This is what God has done as we settle our hearts, as we settle our minds, as we as we express our dependence upon God together, lifting our, verse, our voices, praying urgently, not those dispassionate kind of like, well, God, it is, is what it is. It's just, I'm, I don't know what I'm gonna do. But no, as we are pleading with the Lord, God, you made the heavens and the earth. You created this situation. You put me in this job, in this marriage, in this family, in this job situation. You put me here and I need your help. Those kind of prayers that bring our hearts back into alignment with what God is doing. Unified, biblical, urgent, Christ-exalting prayers like this are God's means for our sanctification, for our perseverance in the faith. When our hearts are unbalanced for our safety and for our longevity in the faith, when those things are in danger, God, in his kindness, has given us this gift of prayer to urge the Sovereign Lord. And as we do, as we urge the Sovereign Lord in these unified biblical prayers, we then unleash the Spirit of God. We unleash the spirit of God, just as we see in verse 31 here. And when they had prayed, there's another instance, put your little P there, put your P in the margin. When they had prayed, then the place shook, then the spirit filled them, then they pressed on with the boldness that they needed and had requested. They have a simple request for boldness. Boldness. Don't forget what the authorities had just warned them about. Don't forget the predicament that they find themselves in. They had just been commissioned by Christ himself to go and be his witnesses, empowered by the Holy Spirit in Jerusalem and to the ends of the earth. And now the rulers that they are supposed to be abiding by have said, you must stop. They were scared. You think they were fearful? Peter probably wanted to go back to fishing. Maybe there were some government regulations, but at least the authorities weren't after him. But they knew that God was sovereign, had put them in this place, and if God had put them there, then he has a plan for his glory and their good. And so they don't pray, God, change our circumstances. God, relieve the persecution. No prayers are like, God, would you turn down the heat, please, in this situation? No, their prayers, God, can I have some sunscreen to make it another hour? They acknowledge their weakness, they're afraid, they're timid, but this is God's plan for them, their best. And so they pray for the help they need to get through it and not to get out of it. How many of our prayers are like that? God, get me out of here. Instead of God, would you give me the grace to take another step and live a life that honors you in this situation? And when we pray humbled prayers like this, it unleashes the spirit of God's grace to give them the help that they need. When you get your tires aligned, then you can really go places. and can go places for a long time without fear. And when God aligns your heart with his, then you can do unimaginable things by his spirit. You can endure all kinds of persecution. You can endure all kinds of uncertainties for what tomorrow holds. This unleashes God's spirit in your life. These prayers that unleash the spirit's power in your life are prayers of humility and dependence, asking God for the things you need to be sanctified and to persevere. Too often our prayers are, God, change my spouse. God, would you change her heart? Would you, would, you, would you change him? Rather than, God, you said marriage is a good thing. God, I was to leave and cleave, I was to leave my father and mother and cleave to this man or this woman and become one flesh. So I need your grace to do that. I need your forgiveness to extend that. Too often our prayers are, God, I want a new job. I need a new boss. Get me out of here. Rather than, God, give me an opportunity to be a light. You put me in this place. Would you help me to submit to this master, a cruel and unjust master, maybe he or she is. Would you help me to be pleasing? Give me opportunities to share the faith that I have. Too often our prayers are, God, why are my kids so crazy? Rather than, God, you say that children are a heritage from you, a reward, a blessing. Psalm 127 and 28. And so I need wisdom now to disciple them. I I need direction for what's next. God, would you help me? Would you put somebody in my life that would help me, that would disciple me so I can disciple them? Too often our prayers are, God, why is my teacher so hard? Why is she so harsh? When as a student we should be praying, God, I need diligence to comprehend and study today. Would you give me the grace to make it through this class, to learn the things that I need to learn? Would you give me the boldness that I need? What is it that you need to honor God and persevere in the faith in the circumstance that you find yourself in? Prayer that you've been praying for. The situation that you've been tr- praying that God would change. Maybe the focus of your prayers need to change. And to God, I need this to make it one more step. I need this to, to walk in obedience to you. He knows the situation. He's not aloof to it. And so ask him in dependence and faith to give you the grace that you need. Ask your friends to pray with you, to search the scriptures with you. Share it with your small group this afternoon and the spirit will be unleashed in you because of what Christ has won for you. See, this is what God does through prayer by his spirit. Why we believe in this pillar of unceasing prayer. When we are urging the sovereign Lord so we see the situation that we're in. We ask, What is it, Lord? What is, what is, this is what I need. What is, what is your prayer for right now? What is it in your life? What is it that you've been asking? God, give me grace to blank like Christ. What is that prayer? What, you, what is it that you need prayer for right now? You know, just even if I were to come up and ask you after the service, say, how can I pray for you? What did you write on the connection card? What did you neglect to write on the connection card and you probably should write on it before you go so I can pray with you this week? What is that? God, would you give me grace to blank like Jesus, to take the next step in towards you and walking in obedience of faith in this situation that you and your good, kind, and sovereign, wise hand have put me in. And so as we close, as I warned you a few moments ago, we're going to take a few moments and, or a few minutes here and lift our voices together to God. I want you to lift your voices. Uh, last week we just kind of prayed on our own, but this week I want you to uh, take a moment and to pray with the people that you came with. Those are family, your family or friends, people that are around you. If uh, somebody's flying solo next to you, invite them to, to join you in this. Our worship team's gonna come up here and, and they're going to begin playing and, um, and just kind of in the background. But men, let's lead our families in this. Let's just begin to pray. Don't worry about the people around you, okay? Nobody's judging you based on the eloquence or the, you know, the theological savvy of your prayers, We're just praying to the Lord, asking him to move to give you the grace that you need in this situation. If you don't know what to pray, turn in your Bibles, and you can read, just read out loud verses 24 to 30, and the Lord would be pleased as he hears you utter those words to him. And so let's let's take a moment. We're going to pray just like that, and I'll close us. And then we're going to close, after that, we're going to move into a time of...